Father, we thank you. You're an awesome God. And we pray, Holy Spirit, you come and fill this place right now. Come fill this place with your power, with your presence. Lord, we pray that the words that we share together will be life. Lord, I pray people here won't hear my voice, Lord, they'll hear your voice. That they hear what you have to say. That, Lord, I would just be your instrument today. Because, Lord, we want to be more like Jesus. We want to be transformed. We want to reflect your glory and your majesty. We want your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven, that you be glorified. So, Lord, I, I pray, come, inspire us, challenge us. Holy Spirit, work through us. Correct us, rebuke us, encourage us to be more like Jesus. We bless you and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn the person next to you and say, God's got a word for you. Okay, now turn to the person next to you and say, with conviction, God has a word for you. I just want to make sure you're awake, you know. All right, a couple of weeks ago we spoke on faith. And we got, you know, 14 sermons into half an hour or so. So I thought maybe we'd unpack a couple of those over the next couple of weeks and then we run into um, Christmas. And I was really tempted to sort of step into the whole Christmas preaching because it's only a month ago, you know, just under a month. 34 days. Isn't that exciting? 32 days. Yeah, no, just over a month. Thank you for the correction in the front row. <laughs> 32 days, yeah? Who's done their shopping? Who's finished their shopping? I bought the one present I have to buy, so I'm done. <laughs> the rest is yours, babe. <laughs> Isn't that how it works? I go to work and you do the shopping? It's a blessing thing, you know. I earn the money so you can spend it. <laughs> I'm going to preach on this side for a bit. <laughs> but faith, let's talk about faith. You know, and, and as I was thinking about Christmas, the one, the one thing that I really love about Christmas is, is just before Jesus is born, you know, when, when Mary has that encounter with the angel. And, and she says to him, look, just be done to me, you know, as God says. And the angel says that nothing is impossible with God. That's a massive statement when you think about it. Nothing is impossible. Whatever you think of as impossible is actually not impossible. Isn't that cool? Whatever you think, oh, that can't happen, it's actually possible. Your wildest dream is possible. In fact, Ephesians 3.20 says that God can do, the Amplified puts it, super abundantly more than you can ask, dream, think, or imagine. So it doesn't matter what the wildest, craziest dream you have is, God can actually do super abundantly more. So that, that really annoying person in your life, 
God can touch them. If you're the really annoying person in your life, God can touch you. (laughs) That thing you can't break or that thing you can't break through, it's actually easy for God. Isn't that cool? But I'm going to save that sermon. (laughs) Because that's a really good one. But I want to talk about faith today, but I want to talk it in the context of vision and purpose. Because this is that time of the year. It's the end of November. You should know what you're doing next year, right? Because the church rule is, in October, you plan for next year, right? And all those who haven't been with us for 12 months, you're excused. The rest of you? (laughs) Now, as a, one of the things that, um, you know, as a, as a sort of management coach, when you go in and you work with people, and, and, and I'm really in that stream now because um, the work I'm doing with the place I work with at the moment is actually putting together their management course for next year and going through and writing and editing, and it's really, actually really, really boring work because I've just got to read through reams of paper and put bits in and bits out and stuff like that. And Anyway, but one of the things about it is that one of the first things we really teach leaders and managers and organisation is to really clarify what their vision and their purpose is. Because if you don't know what your vision and purpose is, nothing else matters. If you don't know why you were doing what you were doing, then nothing else matters. You know, I mean, why are you sitting here today? Because, one, it's the most awesome place you could be on a Sunday morning. (laughs) Right? But why are you in church? Because God transformed your life. That he took you from being a sinner, which you are no more, to being a saint. You know, he calls you a saint. You can say, I am saint, whoever you are. He actually calls you kings and priests. Isn't that cool? He says you're a royal priesthood in Peter. So you're royal. Yeah, Prince Philip is not 95. That's you. That's how God sees you. And you're here because the Bible says not to neglect meeting together, to encourage and to exhort and to build each other up. Ephesians says, until we become in unity in the faith, that doesn't mean we all think the same. That all means that we have one purpose. To reach our city for Jesus. Yeah? That's why we're here, isn't it? Because to encourage and exhort that we go out there and we make a difference. And we see people's lives transformed. And we get them to meet Jesus. And then they come on in here. And then we keep doing that process and we disciple people to go out and do that thing and do that and keep doing it and keep doing it. Our purpose is to seek first God and his way of living. It comes out of two commands, really, that Jesus said. He says, love God with everything you've got, everything you are, everything you'll ever be. And the second, he said, is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So we're here to love God and love people, yeah? That's why we get together. You've got to have vision and purpose in your life, right? I get this hesitant, yeah. 
Is that because some of you have heard this sort of thing before? We've talked about vision and purpose and the challenge. But it's really good because that's a great general vision. But one thing I find is, is people, when you're going through their coaching as, as leaders, is they have this really good, out there, really big vision, but they don't know how to bring it back to, what do I do right now? What does that mean for the next 10 minutes? What does that mean for the next two days? And the way we work with planning with leaders is we actually get them to usually set up about a five, depending on who they are and what their level and their capacity is, either a five or a ten-year vision. Most people, it gets up being a five-year, depending, because the world changes so quick in five years, doesn't it? So we work on a five-year vision. Where do you want to be in five years? What would you like to see happen in your life in five years? What do you think is possible? Bill Gates says, he says, most people underestimate what can happen in five years, but overestimate what happens in 12 months. In other words, they set a one-year goal, and it's too high, and they never achieve it. But they underestimate what they can do over a five-year period with the right planning and preparation, and I would add faith. God can transform your life in five years. Yeah, that thing that you've been putting off for years that you want to do, that thing you keep putting off, imagine if you started it five years ago. Wouldn't things be different now? You'd be finished. I've been talking about my master's for three years. I could have finished it in that time. I don't know when I would have done it, but it's been a pretty busy three years. When you plant new churches and so on, that takes a bit of time, yeah? Sorry? Excuses, excuses. Well, I thought I'd get married, became a grandfather. It wasn't like I was sitting around doing nothing. I had to conduct the wedding, had to hold the baby. You've got to have vision in your life. How does this all tie in with faith massively? You see, the thing about faith is, you know, we talk a lot about faith and having faith and so on, but faith is actually not an end in itself. Faith is actually the vehicle that gets you to where you need to be. All right, people come to me and say, I need more faith. I find most people actually don't need more faith. What they need to do is actually act on their faith and clarify their purpose and their vision. Because when you are clear about who you are, when you are clear about what God has for you to do, then you can actually put your faith towards something. It's a bit like me walking out to my car, starting it up, and driving out the drive and then just driving. And you might say, where are you going? I don't know, but I'm going. Faith is the car. They get you where you're going to go, but the car's pointless if you don't have a destination. Unless you're driving, you know, the latest Mustang or something and, you know, cruise on the highway, then it doesn't matter where you're going because it's all about the ride. But most cars, they have a purpose. It's to take you where you want to go. I mean, I'm sure you didn't walk out to your car and get in and go, okay, car, let's just go where we need to be. No, you got in a car with a purpose to come here this morning. You had a purpose, you had a vision. Whether you realized or not, that's what you had. 
and car was the vehicle. It's the same in your life. You need to have a purpose and a vision for your life, and faith becomes a vehicle that gets you there. Because when you can focus your faith, your faith has purpose. My car is useless sitting in the drive. Yeah, we have two cars. There's one that I use to drive to work and to teach my kids to drive in. The other one's our car. Yeah. All right, right now the car that I drive to work is sitting in my drive. It has no purpose. I do not need it right now. It is not of use to me. I need to have a purpose for my car, just like you need to have a purpose for my faith. Faith is an interesting thing. It says, Hebrews eleven six. let me tie three verses together very quickly, because I don't want to be here all day, all right? I know you don't want to be here all day either, because you have a purpose for your day, right? <laughs> to be here, okay, well, we'll go. All right, Hebrews 11, verse 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, we can read that verse and go, oh, I've got to have faith, I've got to have faith, But you've got to read the Bible in context with the rest of the Bible. You can't just take one verse and go, oh, there it is, you beauty, that meets what I need to do, so I've just got to have faith. There you go, God, I've got faith, I'm pleasing to you, I don't have to do anything. Well, James actually says that faith without action is dead. All right? So faith has got to have an action, a purpose. Let me tie a couple of other things in there that really throw this around. Three John, sorry, Psalm 35, 27 says that God takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. So if you want to please God, what are the two things we've just read that please God? Faith and prosperity. Let me clarify prosperity. All right? Because prosperity is actually different for every person. Prosperity is not rolling around in a whole lot of money. All right? Western culture, we got a little bit off track with some of that. Prosperity is doing what God has called you to do with the resources that he wants to give you to do that. Prosperity has to be taken in the context of Abraham, who God blessed first with prosperity, and he says, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. It doesn't mean that you won't get wealthy on the way, and wealth is a relative term. All right? I have an awesome family. I have beautiful kids. I have an awesome grandchild. I know I'm too young to be a grandfather, but it's still a fact. All right? When it comes to my family, I would consider myself extremely wealthy. Because they are of the utmost importance to me before anything else. You know, I worked out that, you know, I could have millions of dollars in the bank account. Working on that, but, you know, we'll get there. Step by step, takes money to do things. You know, it's, it's not for me, it's not about wealth, it's not about money. My riches are in my family because that's where I put my time and my energy and my focus. They're what's important to me. I get up and go to work every day because I love my family. It certainly isn't going to love my job. <laughs> my job's all right. I love my church job. To understand prosperity is being where God wants you to be, doing what God wants you to do with the resources he provides to do that. It's not about sitting there with money in the bank for no reason. It's about being blessed to be a blessing. And the principles of prosperity work all around the world. 
I told you a few weeks ago about, you know, the, the place in the middle of Ethiopia. And they're sitting there, like, middle of drought. They heard God's message about how he wants to bless them, and so they got a vision and a purpose, and they went out and they fixed the dam in the middle of a drought. They went out and they actually plowed the field ready for the rain. And then they prayed and took God's word and applied it. And the rain came. And they put the seed in. And they were the only village in that whole region to actually have a crop come in that year. Everyone else was in drought except for this one reason, one region, because they put the word of God to use. And then it's awesome, they went to the village next door, told them what had happened, shared the gospel with them, got the village saved, and did the same thing there. See, that's prosperity, blessed to be a blessing. That's what God wants to do through you. You can't have this, I'm happy, I've got enough. That's called selfishness. You know, I have people tell me, but I, only need, I can live on $1,000 a week, it's fine. Okay, that's nice for you. But let me put this in context. You know, if you could live on $800 a week, that's fine. You know, this, this, this guy said to me, look, I make $1,000 a week. It's all I need. It meets my bills. It takes care of my family. I'm happy. I said, that's fantastic. But I said, imagine if you actually prospered. He said, what do you mean? What if you actually had a purpose for your life? I have a purpose. It's just to do what I do. I said, but imagine if you had a bigger vision. Imagine if you had a vision to grow the work that you do, that you actually got paid more for what you do. Why would I want to do that? Well, let's just say you made an extra $500 a week. Imagine what you could do with that $500. He looked at me and said, what do you mean? I said, well, I'm sure, you know, the church could use it for their outreach ministries. There's some great work going on among you know, orphans, among the poor around the world. Imagine what $500 a month a week would do for them. Imagine the lives that you could change. You know, compassion is what, $88, $90 a month, a month to, you know, a kid? How many kids could you sponsor? How many families could you take care of? How many outreaches could you pay for within your church? See, that's what prosperity does. It's not about, oh, I've got enough, I'm fine. It's about making a difference. Your purpose in life is to make a difference. You don't exist for you. In fact, Christ says to be crucified with him daily. At the last one guy was talking recently and he says, yeah, the problem is we've got really good at taking the nails out. You see, when you, when you die on a cross, you don't die instantly. Sometimes they used to take two or three days before they died on a cross. That's why they broke their legs. Because you see, the way you die on a cross has nothing to do with the nails in your hands and your feet. It's everything to do with the fact that you can't breathe. And the only way you breathe is by pulling on the hands and pushing up on your feet. Imagine doing that for that two or three days. And that's how they go along and they break your legs so that you can't push up anymore to breathe and you actually suffocate to death. Lovely, isn't it? You see, we're to be crucified daily. We're to kill our old self off every day, the Bible says. But see, we've got really good at popping out the nails and jumping down off the cross, 
letting our flesh rise up and do what we want to do, and then we get back up and stick the nails back in. That's us. We've got to stop doing that. We're going to leave our old self on the cross and go, God, what is your purpose for my life? Because God has a purpose and a vision for your life. And it has to involve faith, and it has to involve prospering you. See, prospering is about being where God wants you to be, doing what he wants you to do. But it takes faith to do that. You know what? I've discovered that. That whatever God has for you to do is actually bigger than where you are right now. Because that's how God works. Because he wants you to trust in him. Because when you trust in him, you have to use faith and you have to rely on him and you have to spend time with him. And he created us for relationship with him. And that's what he desires. A relationship that's going somewhere. This is why you have to have faith to please God. This is why you have to prosper to please God. Because you have to have a vision and a purpose bigger than you that drives you to God because you can't do it without him. Does that make sense? 3 John 2 says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper and be in good health as your soul prospers. How do you prosper your soul? You hang out with Jesus. You hang out with Jesus is how you prosper your soul. For me, it's doing it down by the ocean. Got to go down there this week. It's really nice. Just go and sit by the water. Just hanging out with God for a couple of hours. It's nice. Appreciate his creation, his presence. And in there, he released vision. He released purpose. You've got to know your vision and your purpose. It has to be bigger than who you are. You can't seek God and faith just for the sake of seeking faith. All right? Faith is just the vehicle that gets there, but you've got to activate it. Let me, let me just give you an example of how it works. God, God gave us a vision for this church back in about 1995 initially we first saw this church in this region and in 97 was when he said I want you to go and, and start doing some stuff and we started working on that but what, in the midst of that he spoke to Dale and I and he put in our hearts a vision of a church for 20,000 people Now, that's a little awesome when there's only the two of you. It's only 19,998 people short. You know, we're in a church of about 200 at a time, associate pastors, and seeing amazing things happen with young people. We saw a revival. You know, they, they had anyone saved in what was about eight years in their youth ministry, and within three months, we had 11 baptisms. We were... We started off in our lounge room, and then, you know, it was just so full of people by the end of it, and, and we saw God do amazing things, because he gave us a vision for that ministry. And then he said, okay, now it's time to go. And then through a, a series of events, we ended up where we are here now, starting out as a church together. But you know, in 2010, when we first registered this church with the government, because you've got to do all that, 
We had a membership of two, Dale and I. And then we've been through plans and processes. In February this year, we launched as a church together. You know, and now there's about, what, 50, 55 people on our list. It's a good start. Yeah, we're growing step by step, person by person. As long as it stays in the cover, we're okay. <laughs> I have no idea what that was. <laughs> so I want to have a look. How's your faith? <laughs> I mean, it sounds like someone's about to cross a lion and, a, and an elephant. Over this side a little more. <laughs> so we're, here we are. We're in November. We're about 55 people who would say this is their church. We've got Messy Church, which gives us probably another, what, 15 or so? Sorry? Another five families that come along to Messy Church about every four or six weeks. And it's really cool that they, this is their church. Dale and I were working through the shops the other day, and we saw one of the couples that come to Messy Church, and, you know, they stopped, and they're chatting with us, and, you know, this is their church. All right? We're growing step by step. Now, you can sit there and go, well, that's, you know, that's about 70 people. That's a long way short of 20,000, Phil. Come on. But this is how vision works. Isaiah 60 says a small one shall become a thousand. A little one, a mighty nation. All through the Bible, God talks about, he talks about your know, mustard seed being the smallest seed of the garden, and yet it produces the biggest tree. This is how vision works in your life. That you have to have a vision, and then you have to hold on to the vision, and you have to keep holding on to the vision, and you have to be convinced that the vision is given by God. And then you have to share your vision, and that gets scary. Because people look at you strange. Some people look at us and go, who do you think you are that you can have a church of 20,000 people? I so want to answer, I'm a child of the Almighty God. I'm a prince in his kingdom. I'm of the royal priesthood of my father and nothing is impossible with him. But it's not about me. It's about him. We don't want 20,000 people so we can say we've got 20,000 people. That's 20,000 people in the kingdom that aren't going to hell. That's why we want 20,000 people. We want 20,000 people that can make a statement in this nation and say that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's not about numbers. It's about transforming lives and families. Because I've worked out that when people come to know Jesus, their life gets better. And stats prove it. They've actually shown that when societies become Christian... As in villages get changes or people get, their actually economic status improves. Why? Because they get the wisdom of heaven. They know what to do with their stuff. They understand it's not for them, it's to be a blessing. And so they start to what? Prosper. Why? Because they're in relationship with God. This is why God gets happy when you walk in faith. God gets happy when you prosper. Because it reflects his glory. Who wants to be poor, sick, miserable, and broke? Anyone? 
Because that's the church that we peddle. Isn't it out there? But that's not what God's word says. He says, I'm the God who heals you. I'm the God who blesses you. I'm the God who gives you a purpose and a vision. But it takes faith to do it. So how do you get a vision? How do you get a faith? It's really easy. First of all, know that God takes you right where you are. You can actually change your whole life journey by starting where you are. Isn't that awesome? In five years' time, you have a choice. You can be exactly where you are doing exactly what you're doing in exactly the same situation you're in now, or you can be who God wants you to be. It's actually your choice, not God's. You know, people say to me all the time, oh, well, if God wills it, God wills it. Can you imagine if, you know, Joshua's out there and, and, and you know, they come to Jericho. If God wills it, we'll take the city. And they all just sat down. Where's the faith? See, it's the biggest cop-out in the church if God wills it. In other words, it's not my problem. It's, it's up to God. He does it all. Yes, but you know how he does things? He does it through you. This is one of the main reasons he gave us the Old Testament, to show us time after time after time, it comes down to the choices you made. You know, we look through the Israelites, and we look when they went to the promised land, and you know, there was good king, good king, bad king, bad king, good king, good king, bad king, bad king. Good king, things go well. Bad king, things go bad. You'd think by looking at that, we would work out that when you seek God, it puts you on the right path. That when the issues come, because they still have problems, God has a way through. But if you look at every time he has a way through, there was action involved. You never ever found David going into battle saying, God, do I go up or do I not? Is what he would say. And God would say, go up. And then he didn't sit there and go, okay, God, take care of it. He would go up. They had to act on what God says. You never ever find them sitting back going, if it be his will. Where did that come from? You know, I mean, the only time that it really shows out in the Bible is Jesus in the garden that gets enemy, and he says, God, I'm really happy, Father, if you take this whole cross punishment thing away. Because I'm not really keen on getting crucified. I'm not really keen on getting whipped. But not my will, but your will be done. Jesus was not wondering what God's will was. He knew clearly what it was because it's why he came. It was prophesied thousands of years before he was even born. There was no question of will. He was surrendering his will. And when it comes to God, he says, my sheep know my voice. In other words, you can know his plan and purpose for your life. Otherwise, God's a liar. Because if you're one of his followers, you're one of his sheep, so therefore you can know his voice. You just have to choose to hear it. And so he will tell you his will. There is nowhere else in the Bible where it talks about, oh, maybe will, maybe won't. You know, if God wills it, he'll make it happen. No, he says, get off your backside, get acting, and use your faith to make it happen. Does that make sense? It's logical, isn't it? 
Because that's what we see right throughout the Bible. I don't know where we as a church lost that process. You know, we can sit here and go, well, God wants us to reach 20,000 people, so we'll just sit here, we'll meet every day. We won't reach out, we won't put any signs out, we won't advertise, we won't share our gospel with our friends, we won't do any of that because, you know, unless God really wills it to happen, he'll just bring them in, it'll happen. You know what'll happen? Half of you will leave because you go, I want to do something. And it'll be about five of us sitting here having a little holy huddle. And he won't be so holy because God won't be here either. Because why? Faith pleases God. Faith pleases God. That's not faith. Sitting here going, God will make it happen. Faith is saying, God, what do you want us to do? And then doing it and then letting God make it happen. Because you know what then he says? He says, do things that you can't afford. Do things that, you know, if you look at our budget, we can't afford to do the outreaches we've done this year. We're about to go into Christmas. Christmas is going to cost us, by the time we do advertising, the camels, the animals, and everything else, we're going to pay about $5,000 for our one Christmas evening. If you look at our snow day, that cost us about $5,000. 700 people were here. We got to share the gospel with a whole lot of people. Messy Church was born out of that. Five families started coming to church that weren't in church before that. But it costs money, doesn't it? And if you look at it naturally, we can't afford it. But God does, because we step out in faith and do what he tells us to do. We sit down and go, what do you have for us to do in this coming year? And he shows us, and we go, cool, and we start to do it, and then he starts to provide. The amount of times I've sat there and I've looked at the accounts and gone, Paid that bill, how the heck do we pay the next one? It's always been done. God's clever at what he does. He delights in our prosperity because it means we rely on him. Hundreds of people are going to rock up on Christmas Eve. We're going to sit out there on the lawn. We're going to do the nativity with live animals and sheep walking up and all that sort of stuff. We've got the, the camels are really cool because they've got three camels and the guys dress up as wise men. And they come and be a part of the whole production and they do the whole outfitting and they come in, they bring the little gifts and they put them in the, in the stable and it all happens. That's why we're doing it outside because I want the really camels to be a part of it. And it's really, really good fun. And we get to stand up there on Christmas Eve and get in people's face and say, Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. You don't have to be sitting there in your sin and your sickness and your suffering. Jesus died for you. He loves you and he came back to life and he's risen again and you can be transformed no matter what you face in your life. We get to do that with hundreds of people on Christmas Eve because that's what vision does. When you have a vision and a purpose, he takes you from where you are to where you need to be. Oh, come on, get excited. All right. First point. <laughs> Not really. Oh, I love this. This is one of my favorite topics. I just love it when God has it. Have a vision for next year. God, God, God has a plan for you. Let me just forget the points. Go to your connect group. You can go through the points. Let me give you the summary version because, like, you know, otherwise we'll be here all day. God has a plan and a purpose for you, and you can find out what that is. If you're thinking five years is too much, ask him what he has for you for the next 12 months. 
Say, God, what do you want for me for the next 12 months? As a church, we will, you know, in, in end of January, sort of early February, we'll sit down and we'll go, this is what God has for us. We'll announce it. We'll talk about it. We'll have a vision Sunday. We'll talk about what we've seen over the last 12 months, the, the victories and the breakthroughs. We've seen time after time after time where God has blessed us. We've seen growth and increase. We've seen lives change. I mean, we've been into schools and, and seen just bunches of kids just hungry for God coming into the programs running in the schools. We're seeing God do amazing things. And we're expecting even more next year. We're going to see growth and increase. We're going to go forward. So go to God and say, God, what do you have for me? What's your plan and your purpose for the next 12 months? If you're really brave, ask his plan and purpose for the next five years. Get what God has for you to do. Sit down in the quiet with him and say, speak to me. And he will speak to you. And then commit yourself to doing it. The reason New Year's resolutions don't work, because there's no plan and preparation. People go, oh, I'm going to do this. Within a day and a half, something like 95% of New Year's resolutions are broken. Probably because 95% of them relate to people's weight. (laughs) And January 1st, they're tired, they're upset, they eat. There's chocolate in the fridge from Christmas and New Year's, they eat. It's all over. All those who say amen. <laughs> I'm at a running program, man. It's, 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 it's a blessing. Amen. It's not about half past five in the morning when I'm sore and stiff and, yeah. No, no, I'm good. I'm good. All right. Have a vision. Have a purpose. Have a goal. Seek God for it. And then put a plan in place. God, how am I going to achieve this? Don't overdo it. Have a plan and a purpose. If you have sin in your life, repent. Get out of your life. You don't need it. If it comes back again, repent. Get out of your life again. Go for it. God took care of your sin 2,000 years ago. He's not worried about it. He's just waiting for you to repent from it. All right? If you've got that habitual sin, you'll break it. Just get more word in, more God in. You know, I find when I'm hitting hard times and, and I'm struggling and, and, you know, the stuff's coming in, you're feeling bombarded, I just start chucking CDs on. I start looking, this isn't a good teaching. Even though I've heard it before, I just keep listening to it and listening to it. It's like you get so much of God inside of you, there ain't room for anything else. All right? Get God's Word in you. Seek God with all your head. Serve God like it's true. Act like the vision He's given you is true. You need to, you know, the Habakkuk says to write the vision and make it plain. You know, I've taken it. I went out and bought a Friday. I had to went to Ikea on Friday, I have to confess. <laughs> I've repented all weekend. After, after two weeks ago, ripping into Ikea and how bad it was, <laughs> Ikea was made for females. <laughs> Bunnings was made for men. You walk in, you get what you want, you walk out. Ikea, you walk in and you keep walking and you keep walking. 1,500, it was a four and a half thousand steps to get out of the joint. That's like a two and a half K walk. I'd been running that day. I wanted, but they're the only place that had a jolly picture frame that I needed. Because I got, I made up this massive picture of this auditorium full of 20,000 people worshipping God. I stuck across the top of it, vision, down the bottom, church of 20,000 people. It's like 
I made it the wrong size. I was sort of got my sizes wrong, and it's actually too big for the frame I was going to put in. So I had to go and buy this massive frame. It's like this big. I had to go to Ikea and get a frame. This guy just humbling me for, you know, two weeks ago. If you don't know what I mean, go back on the website. You can listen to my sermon a couple of weeks ago and laugh at me. But it's massive. And, you know, once I get my lovely wife a standing knife, she's going to frame it up for me because that's her skill. And it's going to hang on the wall in my bedroom. People go, why do you want to put something like that in your bedroom? Because when I wake up and when I go to sleep, I want to know that that's what God has for me. That's his vision, his purpose. I've actually now got two that will hang in our room. One, one above our bed, so you know, pull the dreams down from heaven. One on the wall opposite my bed. Because I sit on the lounge, there's a lounge sort of at the end of our bed where I often sit and have just hang out with God. And so that faces the other way. So now I've got one, whichever way I'm facing. I can see the vision that God has for me. And I know that people look at me and go, you're crazy. No, I just have an amazing God who can do exceedingly abundantly above all that I can ask, think, dream, or imagine, which means 20,000 is the start. Can you imagine how we could really change this city with 20,000 people on fire for God? I reckon we could turn that 20,000 into 100,000. You know how many churches we could plant all around this nation, all around the world? You know how many missionaries we could send out? Can you imagine next time there's a crisis that we could actually go and, and hire or buy our own 747 and just load it up with food Amen. and fly it in and go, hey, God loves you. Amen. Can you imagine that? That's why we have the vision. It's not about numbers. It's about changing lives. Are we crazy? Well, as far as the world says, yeah, apparently we are. But we're supposed to be. They called Jesus crazy. His, his family came and saw him and stood outside and went, you know, you need Jesus to come out. That was all about him going, well, he's lost the pot. He's just gone and cleaned out the temple and, you know, thrown all the tables over. This guy needs to come home. We need to go talk to him. And he went, no, 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 I'm not crazy. I just know what I'm about. Do you know what you're about? Do you know what God's plan and purpose for your life is? Will you get to heaven and hear, well done, good and faithful servant, because you bought into the vision he has for your life? You know, one of my dreams is seeing people achieve their dreams. That's one of my purposes in life. So I want to encourage you. Find your purpose in God and seek him as to how you do it. Because nothing is impossible with him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. You're an awesome God. That you have a vision and a purpose for each one of us. And Lord, we don't have to be super spiritual. We don't have to be knowing the whole Bible. We don't have to be hyped up and in faith for thousands of years to fulfill your purpose. Because all we need is you. Lord, I pray for every person here that you will release visions and dreams upon their lives in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray release a plan and a purpose within them that they will know your calling, your plan, your purpose, your agenda for their lives, Lord, especially for this next 12 months and even beyond. 
Lord, I pray they will know you. Your purpose. That you will be glorified through our lives individually, Lord, and our lives together as your church. We bless you and we honor you. In Jesus' name. Amen.